Have you ever moved into a new house? I remember the first time that we did that. Uh, day two and three and four of moving into a new house are really awful because there's just a pile of boxes and you don't know where anything is, right? Uh, so the day two, three, four are bad, but day one, day one's pretty exciting, right? You get into a new place, all the possibilities, all of the, the freshness and the newness, and what, what happens? The first time we moved into a new house, our first house that we ever bought was on Wiley Lane. And it was a little old uh, house that was uh, painted, as one of our friends called it. The, he named the color that this house was painted Battleship Gray. Um, and so it was it, it was kind of a, 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 a gray little house. <laughs> and we moved in, and we were so delighted. And part of what made us delighted was all of our friends came and helped us. I would come home, uh, my then girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, was like, go wash your things before we hang out. But home, you know, uh, coming into a new home is, is a, just a joyful thing of possibility. There's, you know, your, your attention homecoming. You guys have been to a homecoming, right? A homecoming's the big celebration of, of who we are as a school, right? And uh, you try to always schedule a football team that's easy to beat uh, so that we can celebrate our blowout victory because that's just how cool we are. That's our homecoming game. And there's a homecoming king and queen and we celebrate and everybody's, you know, it's very, very festive. This is Israel's homecoming. It's the homecoming of Israel's God maybe sounds odd to us, 
but it was a big deal as you can see if you read in this chapter we skipped a little bit we skipped the middle part of the chapter just simply for time's sake but i'll kind of outline what that is like here uh here as we get started so the temple is completed at the beginning of the chapter and as we said in the previous chapters and the previous sundays we looked at the previous chapters that imprinted in this temple is the image of the cosmos the image of the whole world the throne of god the heavens and the earth the garden of eden the beauty the 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 uh the nature of it all the the pictures of water and fire and light and trees and gold and all of the beautiful things of the world collected into one place in kind of this summary of here's the deity that god has created now all of those components were present in the tabernacle right the tabernacle of moses that had been traveling with israel through the desert and through the promised land for centuries now at this point it's been a long time israel really hasn't gotten settled in this land until right now in this moment during the reign of solomon so they're the the wanderers who haven't quite settled they've had a tabernacle for their temple they now build a new temple this temple as we as we mentioned in a previous week is literally twice the size of the tabernacle so there's an expansion to what god is doing god god's temple is taking up more and more space right there's a there's an invasiveness um, to god's temple and he is uh yeah he's expanding his dominion and making it permanent right this is not a you can't pick up this temple and carry it away and he's making it even more powerful and uh, beautiful as a statement you can't you would walk into this one if you'd ever been into the previous tabernacle you'd been like man that previous tabernacle is cool and then have you ever been into like a an incredible cathedral like a really like one of the world-class cathedrals like Notre Dame before it burned or Chartres or uh, Canterbury or you know you walk into some of these places and it's universal you don't hear anybody shout nobody's in there like oh hey look at that people are quiet when they go in and what do they do the temple is or the temp- tabernacles are man the cathedrals are literally designed with this height to it so that your eye starts here and your eye goes up, 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 and you're like, whoa! It ter- literally turns your eyes heavenward. And it literally overwhelms you with its design and beauty and size. Solomon's temple was like that. If you had walked into Solomon's temple, you would literally have said, I have never, ever, 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 ever seen anything like this, ever. You know, I don't know if you've seen a picture of, like, the old medieval towns when these gigantic cathedrals were built. But, you know, you have, they didn't build, like, uh, 10-story buildings, right? They had all these little houses, little short uh, residences, these little villages, right? And then there'd be this cathedral exploding up out of the middle of it, and you'd be able to see it for 20 miles away. You'd be like, whoa, look at that. I'm 20 miles away, and I can see that thing. That would be unheard of in the medieval world even more so here in the ancient world you know here's jerusalem which is up on top of the hill so you can see it for quite a ways and it's got all these you know normal regular familiar i've seen a thousand buildings like that and then there's this giant temple right in the middle that's the impact that it would have and then in the crucial moment 
the moment in which God, uh, the moment in which God takes residence. Uh, Courtney read where uh, they bring in the Ark of the Covenant and they set it down, and it's there and it's being overshadowed by the gigantic uh, cherubim that are standing 15 feet tall, 15 feet wide, enormous angelic statues. Uh, but that Ark represents that's God's chair. That's where God sits. Where uh, at your house does like your dad have a chair? Like, oh, that's dad's chair. He, that's, that's where he sits. Our house, Jordan's got a chair. And the kids have to uh, vacate it whenever whenever she requests it. It's her, it's her magic chair. And uh, this, one is, this one is God's chair. It's no one else's chair. And so God comes in, sits on his chair. He's seated in a throne room full of glory that blows your mind. And Israel would say, it surely could never, ever, ever, ever get any better than this. And then you know the story of Solomon that all goes downhill from there. And then in the long term, we've talked about this over previous weeks. In the long term, what God does is say, watch me take over. I'm going to do something even greater. Something that you think that blows your mind? This is going to blow your mind. But then after God is seated in the, on the ark, to live in their midst, for God to be right here, guys. God is right here at this place right now. And he goes on and on to say, look, there's uh, safety in this. Do you feel unsafe? Come to the temple. Come to the temple. You can lay your hands on the altar of the temple and you will be safe. He says literally in this, in this worship service, as he's kind of preaching to Solomon's servants, if there's a famine, we can come in here and ask God to end the famine. If there's a battle, we can come in here and ask God to help us in battle. If there is sin, we can come in here and ask God for forgiveness. And Solomon says the door to all of those things is completely open to us now. All we have to do is walk in and ask God
there's a famine in the land. Remember what, uh, you remember one of the stories of the famine in the land? I'll just use this one story as an example. During the days of Elijah, there's a famine. Prophet Elijah, there's a famine in the land. And the evil king of Israel, what is his response to it? Instead of, let's go into the throne of God and ask him. Let's humble ourselves before him and say, God, we know that we're sinners and we're not worthy. We confess you. Instead of being humble, instead of coming into the throne of God and asking for the end of famine, which Solomon says here would end the famine. But instead of doing that, he's like, let's go kill Elijah. We did that too. Elijah, the prophet of God, is the one who said there'd be a famine. So we need to go kill him. That's what we're going to do. And Ahaz, uh, Ahaz, is that right? Ahaz, yourself before him. Repent of any sin. Ask him for what you need and he will provide anything that you need. The door is wide, wide open. That's Solomon's sermon here in 1 Kings chapter 8. It is literally a sermon of Emmanuel, right? We say that word during Christmas because uh, it's one of the names of Jesus. Emmanuel. What does it mean? God with us. Solomon is saying, guys, you've never had this before. But there's something new and something beautiful and something wonderful and amazing. It's Emmanuel. God is with us. Benediction means a blessing, and so he proclaims uh, the he proclaims a blessing on God, and he proclaims a blessing from God onto God's people, and that's the service. Then at the very end, you heard Courtney read about what do they do next? They offer up all these sacrifices, and there's like 120,000 of this animal, and like I mean, they're just I mean, like it's excessive. It's like massive, huge, gigantic sacrifices of worship and celebration. And then they're like, well, what's the deal with all this food? I know. Let's have a feast, right? So just like some Sundays after our service, we have a, a feast, right? We sit and we eat together and we celebrate the love of God together. That's exactly what Israel does here in 1 Kings chapter 8. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. All right, guys. Eat up. And how long does the feast last? A week. A solid week. Nobody left for a week. They all just hung out and just were together. There was so much food. There was such an abundance that it wasn't like, oh, hey, we had enough for a big old meal. And I was like, we had enough for everybody to just keep going for a week. And that's how big this celebration was. All these sacrifices. And if there's, if there's one thing that we know about the tabernacle and the temple of God is that this is the place where all Worship 
of God took place. But there's a catch to this. A little ways down the road, when one of Solomon's, uh, when son of, one of Solomon's um, great great grandsons, Uzziah, was the king, there was a new prophet in the land, and this prophet Isaiah proclaimed to Israel this word. This is from Isaiah chapter one. think of uh, one of my kids' favorite movies is UHF, which is like from the 80s, and it's Weird Al Yankovic's only film role that he produces, and in one of the scenes, the sort of haughty executive guy uh, is getting his Father's Day present from his son, and he's like, how's your Father's Day going? And he hands him this box, and he opens it up, and there's like a suspension watch inside, and the father says, I said I wanted a Rolex, and he throws it at him. this reason, for this exact reason. 
Ritual was never the goal. The ritual was never the goal. And when the people of Israel came in to God and they performed the ritual as an end to itself, without any concern, without any attention given to the God that they were worshiping, then the ritual became a wall of separation between God and his people and not something that brought them together. The purpose of Israel's worship, the presence of this temple in Jerusalem, the whole reason this whole thing had been built in the first place, was not for ritual, it was for relationship. God wanted a relationship with his people. It was not for them to have a cool facility to do something cool that made them feel cool. Right? Because here's the, here's the thing. God is a person. To be exact, God is three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is a God is three persons. God is not. God is not an idea. And I think in our culture, dare I say, dare I say say, I think that we are as bad or worse in our culture than Israel was about thinking about God as an idea rather than a person. God is not something interesting to think about. He's not something big and difficult to master to wrap our minds around. There's all kinds of lots of great theology and philosophy uh, and all kinds of practical practical implications of God as an idea. But when that's how we approach God, we're basically treating God as the same thing as, for example, the Renaissance. The Renaissance. How many books can you read about the Renaissance? Studying rational numbers. 
let's study irrational numbers. And you just keep throwing all these curveballs at you. And if you go the rest of your life studying mathematics, you'll, you'll keep learning God is not the Renaissance. God is not economics. God is not mathematics. God is not an idea. God is a person. And God desires not ritual. God desires relationship. Notice how Israel ignored that fact. God was here. does our mind go to the, the presence, the proximity of the person of God? And not just this glorious idea that God is the gospel and that uh, Jesus will redeem all things, even this. I tell myself that all the time. If you can even tell your Jesus will redeem even this thing that I'm going through. If you can tell yourself that in such a way that you forget that Jesus is a person. You can think about that in terms of like this mechanical force that like, oh, don't worry. You know, when it all, when the washing machine's done, when it, the spin cycle's done, all the, all the dirt will be washed out. Well, God, Jesus is not a washing machine. How often do we consider his presence and his proximity? Let's consider our own worship. In Solomon's day, they stacked sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice. And later, God says he doesn't really want sacrifices. What does he want? Well, if you don't want sacrifices, God, what do you, what do you want? What do you want? Why are we here? Well, because God wants us. He wants a relationship with us. He wants our minds and our hearts. So we have to ask, how often do we come to worship out of habit? How often do we come to worship because it feels like a good thing to do? Or like, well, that's probably really good for my kids. It's 
come and learn about this stuff, to hear this, to get the discipline of sitting for an hour. Um, how often do we come to worship because this is how I get my battery charged up for the week ahead? But in all of those things, you've got to remember, God is not a habit. God is not a good and helpful thing. like uh, on the desk in the downstairs office there, I have my dad's old, like, 1960s radio. And the radio, you know, the, it's one of those, it's all analog, right? And the, the, the little needle that tells you what frequency you're on is definitely not accurate. So you have to kind of bring it in and approximate approximately where it's supposed to go. And then when you find the station you're looking for, which is like over here, Like, 
1960s radio. We, we take a little fine tuning. It takes us some time to kind of find the right frequency or to hear what 